In answer to your question, the bishop has decided that things will stay as they are until further notice. So the tape will stay, everything will stay, it'll be the same new normal, if we're even going to call it that. Um, today is the Feast of St. Francis, pet blessing. There will be a pet blessing at 1 p.m. drive-by, like we did for Mother's Day, Father's Day, and Divine Mercy. So you have your pet in the car, you drive by, we'll bless it, you go on your way, happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> that way I'm protected from some of your pets, which could be snakes, tarantulas, and other things that Father does not want to deal with. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone which is rejected in the, in the realm of architecture. Architecture, the principles and foundational aspects of architecture have come down to us from the Romans, most, most emphatically, in Western culture and tradition. And when the Roman Empire fell, it was the Catholic Christian Church that maintained those foundational principles of civilization, of society, and even of the sciences. And so we see in the architecture, architectural buildings of those times, especially if we look at cathedrals and churches, what was built was built for visual representation of non-earthly realities. It was built to remind us of God. And so you have the line. The line is not just horizontal, it is also vertical. You have the, the square structure of the building itself, which represents the earth, the four corners of the earth. And then you have, in most cases, the dome, the circle. The circle which represents the infinity and unending love of God. So within cathedrals properly, you see a manifestation of reality. You see a fact that it is the God eternal that mingles with the earthly as the dome is above the square, the circle is above the square, and then you see that in the line it's not just us amongst ourselves, but it's us in union with God. And so therefore, seeing just the architectural building, like a St. Peter's, a Notre Dame, one of these great classic churches, you are immediately brought to God. Your mind is elevated. Now, I got into trouble, which I get into trouble a lot, because I referred to this building as Space Mountain from the outside. What on this building from the outside architecture points us to God? Anything? Nothing that I can see. There's a cross on it. Whoop-de-doo. The whole entire building is supposed to manifest the reality that God is in our midst. And our neighbors next door with the dome, what does that signify? I don't know what that is either. However, the point being, and this is what we have to take a step out of the homily for a second, to look at philosophy. To look at philosophy because philosophy underlines all science. All ologies are of an underlying philosophy. And that is why to become a priest you have to do four years philosophy before you start theology. So that you can see in the theological uh, the theologies what is the underlying philosophical principles. Now I would I would be classified as a Thomist or a Scholastic philosopher, 
because I acknowledge, as St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor did, that God is a given. And that God, and knowing that God is a given, how does everything else work on earth? How does everything interact with that reality of God, our creator? I mean, Thomas is famous, the five proofs of God's existence. It's not the five proofs to deny God is, it's the five proofs to deny that he, to accept that he exists. And so therefore, when a philosophy is underwritten by God, the creator, it illuminates the other sciences in which it is a part of. But sadly, in the 1600s, a Catholic priest by the name of René Descartes was asking the questions that philosophers ask, why am I here? Why do I exist? How do I know I'm real? Why these philosophers ask these questions, I have no idea. If they never asked the questions, we'd be safe from philosophy. But they ask these questions, and they have to come with an answer. And to my sadness, because you know, Rene Descartes gave us the Cartesian plane in math. Descartes was a mathematician. Why he went into the realm of philosophy, I have no idea. He should have kept his, his uh, studies separate or he shouldn't even got into philosophy. But, and I will give him a pass that he did not recognize or realize what the logical conclusion of his answer to the question, why am I here, would lead. And he came up with that famous answer, why do I exist, how do I know I'm real? He, because I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. So what Descartes did, and I would say unbeknownst to himself, but what Descartes did is he did a 180. He made the source of reality man, me, myself. And then therefore we have to find our way to God. Into which modern and contemporary philosophy comes to the conclusion in many cases that God doesn't exist at all. So when you have a, when you have a philosophy that that motivates or is the impetus of a theology, which a philosophy which is godless, which is an impetus of a science, therefore it's not illuminating that science with a light. Jesus is the light of the world. It is illuminating it with a dark light bulb. It's doing nothing for it, and it revolves around itself. This is important to understand this because this modern philosophical movement has crept into all aspects of the sciences, of the ologies, sadly even including theology. So can you imagine, how can you put a godless philosophy as an impetus to study God? It makes no sense. And this is why we have theologies that are wackadoodle today, because they are opposed to each other. And they try to reconcile themselves with each other. And I bring this now back to the homily. This we see also happened in architecture. Yes, you didn't know there was a philosophy behind architecture, did you? Architecture is the science of building. And so therefore, a philosophy also affects the architecture. And so therefore, it was no longer to build to give glory to God, but it was to build to see how far can man go. How far can man, what can man do? What things can he do? And if you look at the architecture of the world today, there are some crazy looking buildings. Just so that the man, man can say, look what we can do. So it divorces itself from God. 
And you and me must be careful because you and I are in that same boat. Are we divorced from God in our everyday life? Is God truly the center, the source of my existence, so that, it, that he illuminates all aspects of my life? This is what we see in the, reading, the first reading from Isaiah and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Again, Israel, the Jewish people, early Christians, they looked into the world and they saw what the, the realities of the world and how they reminded us of God. So here we have the vineyard, the vineyard which they saw in that God. God's creation, what did God do? God made a vineyard. And as making a vineyard, what do they do? They built a hedge. They put a tower. He protects it. He takes care of it. He provides for it. So that we can return to him and season what is his due, the fruit of his vineyard. We can return to him lives worthy of being part of the vineyard of the Lord. Now Israel, as it was known in the time of Isaiah, was destroyed. Israel, Isaiah is trying to help Judah and Benjamin, the last two tribes, to continue to exist. But so therefore, this, this message, the, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and what he tells them, and he was reminded at the end that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and thy people of Judah are his cherished plant. He looked for judgment but see bloodshed, for justice but hark at the outcry. That Israel was not living to the standards that God had made it with regards to the covenant. And so therefore, the vineyard of the Lord was going to be destroyed. This is like a two by, a smack with a two by four this past week, as I was reflecting on these readings. And we see that parts of Napa Valley are on fire. All those grapes and all that wine going to no, no, nothing. How tragic is that? We might run out of wine. That would be awful. That would be the end of the world, technically. However, however, the, the situation is, what is the symbol of the, of the burning of the vineyards to represent to you and me as believers? Oh, that's something to reflect upon on your own time. I don't have time to do that now, but we should reflect. What is the symbolism of the burning of the vineyard? The burning of those vineyards is we, as the church, are part of the vineyard of the Lord. And so the vineyard of the Lord is being destroyed. The vineyard of the Lord is being taken over. And that is something that we have to be mindful of and to realize in the spiritual warfare which we are in. You know, you see it very clearly this past couple of days. Now, I don't care what you think about President Trump, but the fact that he has COVID-19 and the First Lady has COVID-19, and people actually on social media who are encouraging and hoping for his death is outrageous. And the fact that there are Christians that I know of who are putting this stuff out is even more egregious. We, as Catholics, as Christians, we are called to love our enemies. So if you can't stand President Trump, you are still required to love him. We are never to wish evil upon a person. We never wish evil. We as, we as believers always focus on what is good, what is right, what is just. The prophet Isaiah, 
The Lord looked for judgment, but see bloodshed, for justice, but hark the outcry. We are just as guilty, my brothers and sisters. The message of the word of Isaiah should strike each of us in our heart, because we are just as guilty of not being faithful to the covenant of the Lord as Israel was. And so therefore, we need to ask the Lord for his strength, his courage, his perseverance. Because if you and I, who know the Lord, if you and I are not the ones who are being the message of love, forgiveness, mercy, peace, who is going to do it? If we are not living up to the obligation we have, in architecture, what does the cornerstone do? What is the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the foundational piece. In the dome, in every dome, there is, a, there is a cornerstone. In every building, there is a cornerstone in which the building without is lost. The building without it is destroyed. That's what happened with the World Trade Center, with the, world, the two towers in New York City. There was no foundation stone. It was a new style of architecture in which everything was built from the center up as a foundation. There was no external foundation stone, and so therefore, they those buildings collapsed. When, if they was built in traditional style, that would have never happened. That would have never happened. But we did, there's no foundation stone. And my brothers and sisters, when Jesus says and refers to himself as the foundation stone, guess what? He's not just talking about himself, brothers and sisters. He's talking about you and me who are baptized into Christ. You and me who are part of Christ. And so therefore, you and I are called to be the foundation stone to this world in which we live in. The foundation stone that brings civility, that brings love, that brings truth, justice to this world. We cannot expect, and we have to get out of this fairy tale world which we think of, that the world that we live in is back in the 50s and the 40s when the world, the world view was the same as ours. We are at battle with a worldview that is constantly against the Lord, that the Lord is denied and doubted more than he is believed in. And so therefore, we cannot expect a world philosophy closed to God to point us to godly ways, to point us to good news. It is we who have the good news in Jesus Christ. It is we who are called to be those living witnesses. The world cries out to know the Lord. The world cries out. I tell you this every week. The world cries out. And so therefore, you and I have to recognize that as the world cries out to know the Lord, who is going to be the Lord's voice, his hands, his feet, if not you and me? And sadly, and, and it's, it's not so much sadly, but more emphatically, you. You, it's on, it's on your shoulders more than mine. Because I'm supposed to strengthen and encourage you from this pulpit when you come to church. But you're the ones out in the world more than I am. You're the ones who are supposed to convert the world by the way you live your life. Now you sit there and say, well, Father, you're just out of touch. There's no way little old me is going to convert the world. St. Francis of Assisi, who we remember today on October 4th. Who was St. Francis of Assisi? St. Francis of Assisi was one little man and lived in the early, in the mid-800s, 
that we still remember to this day, who did not attempt to change the world, which he has done, but he attempted to live faithful to the call of God in his everyday life. And because of that willingness to be faithful to that call, he did transform the world. This one person, this one person who founded the Franciscan Order, which exists all over the world, which, which thousands of men and women have given their life through the history of the church, through this, or this religious foundation that stemmed from one man. Because it wasn't just one man. And you see, this is where we have to get, get the lies of the devil out of our head. It wasn't just one man. We are never alone. We are always with Christ. God is always with us. And not only is he with us, this past Friday we celebrated the Holy Feast of the Guardian Angels. The wonderful angels. Every one of us has an angel who is closer to us than even our best friend or even our spouse. Our guardian angel is, and the guardian angel is a person. It is a person as we are persons. They're just angelic persons. And so therefore we have this guardian angel that we relegate to kids. It's children. And we even, even art. I mean, <clears throat> let's face it. If you're looking at pictures of angels today, what do you see? Nice little cute chubby babies with wings. I don't want to see a chubby baby with wings as my angel. My God, that, I mean a guardian angel who's much stronger than that. I mean, look at me. That little, that little baby's not going to do much for me. And so we need our people. We forget the power that we, the gift that the guardian angel is for you and me. We neglect that gift. We neglect the angel. We neglect to, to pray through their intercession every day of our life. We should be turning to our angel regularly, praying and asking for the help. Because an angel is a pure spirit. An angel is a pure spirit that is not bound by space or time. So here, get the duct, get duct tape out and wrap your head because it's going to explode. Because as the angel is right here at my side, my guardian angel is right here with me. My guardian angel is also before the throne of God. The guardian angel, all the angels are always before the throne of God and at our side as guardian angels. How amazing is that? Who, I mean, if you want instantaneous answer, uh, prayer going to the heaven, going to the Lord, you go to your guardian angel. They're right there. And they're right next to us. You don't see it. You have to see with the eyes of faith. That's why I'm the priest of the angels. I bring angels wherever I come to churches. Whenever I become pastor, angels come with me to remind us of their reality and their presence. So God, so we have this angel with us. We have the gift of God's grace. We have the strength of the sacraments. We are never left orphaned and abandoned to just do this on our own. God is always with us. When we look at the lives of the saints next month, All Saints Day, saints who willingly gave their life, who sacrificed their very being to serve the Lord, how could they do that? How could they shed their blood for the Lord? because they weren't shedding their blood by themselves. The Lord was with them in their moments of need. Do we, do we believe, do we understand, do we appreciate that the Lord is with us in our need? Sadly, no. Sadly, when we're in need, that's when we think we're abandoned by the Lord. 
But that's when he is with us close. That's when he's closest to us. So, brothers and sisters, oh, but I haven't even got to St. Paul yet. <laughs> because yesterday I left out a whole part of my homily to the 4 o'clock Mass. So I, they, I didn't mention anything about the cornerstone, so I had no clue how architecture had anything to do with what I was talking about. So I was focusing on that. So, briefly, what does St. Paul tell us? Okay, do you, do you hear the audacity of St. Paul? Do you hear what he actually had the audacity to say? I mean, if you're going to say this, you're going to say this with trepidation. He says, keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. I don't see your reaction. I, do, you, do you realize what St. Paul is saying here? What St. Paul is, telling us, is saying is that you follow my example. What a holy boldness St. Paul had to believe that his example was good enough, that his example was truly Christ for these people. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have said that statement. I'm just saying that if he said it, he must have been truly living as the Lord wanted him to do. Could you and I say this? Could I say this before you follow my example? I wish I could. I wish I could, but I'm not there yet. I still give in to the temptations of the world. I still do not, al I still do not always love as I'm supposed to love. I still fail in my ability to be merciful and to be forgiving to those who hurt me. Yet St. Paul is able to say that. Wow! But St. Paul is able to say that because St. Paul knew emphatically that it was no longer he that lived, but Christ Jesus who lived in him. St. Paul knew emphatically he wasn't in this alone, proclaiming the good news, but that Jesus Christ was with, through, and in him. In every fiber of his being, the Lord was there to help and assist him. Now, if you and I had the same holy boldness, if you and I had the same appreciation of the presence of God in our midst, the presence of God helping and aiding us, the world in which we live in would look different. The world in which we live in would look different. And hatred would not exist to the degree it exists. But when you and I who profess Christian faith give in to the lie of hatred as a solution for existence, then we bring the world further away from God. More so than the atheist or the person who doesn't believe. Because we believe, or so we say, and we know, but yet we're not willing to strive to live by it. We're not willing to nail ourselves to the cross with the Lord and overcome our situations, our desires, our human frailty with the living God and allowing Him to work with, through, and in us. So brothers and sisters, on this 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, we are given a powerful word to reflect upon, to analyze ourselves before the mirror of the Lord. Am I the cornerstone? Am I the cornerstone of, in my world of the presence of Christ to those around me? 
Am I a living witness to the presence of Christ working with, through, and in me? Do I even recognize and believe that Jesus is with and through me? Or do I think that I just, I just have to be my church self, my prayer self, this is how I act here and out in the world, I act as the world does? Well, sadly, my brothers and sisters, we have a God who loves us, a God who saves us, and a God is always willing to, get, to allow us in his mercy and in his forgiveness to be restored to his grace and to begin again, to be, to be recreated in him that we may do what he calls us to do. So let us pray through the celebration of this Mass, through the intercession of St. Francis and all the angels and saints, that you and I will be firmly more motivated with the promise that the Lord has given to us of eternal life. And knowing that this world isn't the be-all or end-all, we will live lives worthy of the title Christian. We will manifest the presence of God in our midst so that all people may come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.